This morning we're going to be in Hebrews 11, starting with verse 22. Now, the last time we left off with the fifth profile in faith, we are breaking up this chapter into four sermons. It's a very powerful chapter, so this morning is going to be the third out of the fourth sermon. We're going to be covering verses 22 through 31, and we're going to look at some other profiles in faith. We're going to look at the life of Joseph, the life of Moses' parents, Moses, Joshua, and Rahab. We're going to continue with the format of where, where do we find them in Scripture? What was their faith like? Did they, you know, look, look at their failures as well? And I'm also going to add an addition category because this is where we are in the Scripture about what life threw at them. We have some remarkable people that we're going to speak about this morning where life threw some really heavy things at them. And I believe, and the last phase that we look at is identify. Uh, we're all going to look at some of these characters, some of these historical figures, and we're going to say, gee, I can see my situation in that. Wow, if God could use them, well, God could use me. And that's the whole point. God's not done using his people. God's not done using his church. Look around, read the paper. It's a mess out there in the world. Once you walk out these doors and go into the world, it's fraught with problems. And God wants to use us. He wants to use us in a powerful way to show the world about God's love, to show the world that men and women who lead countries and nations and world stage are not going to have our answers. The answers are going to lie with God. He's the author and finisher of our salvation. So let's jump in in verse 22. He says, By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. We find this in Genesis 50. Joseph had a great faith in God, so much so that he knew at one point that God was going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Remember, when Joseph was in Egypt, Egypt was very favorable to the Jews, favorable to the children of Israel, but this was going to change. And by faith, he wanted his bones collected after his death and brought with the children of Israel into the place where they were going to settle, the place of inheritance. Now, you know what's amazing about this? You can say, well, we're talking about Joseph's bones, so it's about Joseph. No, it isn't. Joseph knew it wasn't about him. He had so much faith in God that the thing, you know, this is the beauty of prophecy. You could look at the world one day and say, well, this is the way everything's going down. But God can tell you with the word of prophecy that things are going to change and give you vivid detail. And Joseph knew this. So he said, hey, guys, by the way, you don't understand it now. I'm paraphrasing. But we're going to have to leave here someday. Egypt's going to be hostile towards us. And when God raises up a deliverer and delivers the children of Israel out, by the way, pack up my bones and bring them with you. So it was about Joseph, but it wasn't about Joseph. Joseph, this morning, is our sixth profile of faith in this series. Faith regarding Israel's future delivery from Egypt. Now Joseph is extremely remarkable. Instead of speaking about his failures, I'd like to take a few moments speaking about the trials that life threw at him. Number one, Joseph gives an amazing prophecy about being a leader, about leading over his family. He shares it with his family. They don't take it too well. And his brothers sell him into slavery. Now, I have to take a moment and ask you to, this morning, put yourself in the position of these real-life historical people that lived. Imagine that. Imagine your own family 
You, they throw you in a pit. Then the Ishmaelite traders come by. Slavery was still active back then, still active today in many parts of the world. You were bound up, and for a price, they gave you to these foreign people. Imagine him on the cart being bound in tears. Like, why? Why would you do this to me? You're my family. You know, some of us have some rough family members, but this is pretty serious, okay? And this is what's going on here. Two, right? He ends up in Egypt. He's the uh, slave of Potiphar. He's a servant. And he starts to build his life in Egypt. And he does well for himself until Potiphar's wife comes on to him. And he realizes that this would not honor God. So he flees. And she blames him because she doesn't want to take the fault for it. And what happens? Now he's thrown in an Egyptian prison. Have you ever done the right thing by God and it's come back to hurt you? This is the world we live in. This is not our permanent home. We're going to do things that are right. We're going to do things that are honorable. And then sometimes we may question, Lord, why? That's probably the most common expression of the Christian walk. Lord, why? I've done it many times, too many times to count. But his ways are higher than our ways. And we're going to look to see how evil in the world turns out for God's glory. So, Joseph finally gets out of prison, has to start all over again. By this time, many would have quit, but not Joseph. Third, he's really tested now when he's in leadership in Egypt and his brothers come to see him because there's a famine in the land. And they go to Egypt for help, to buy food. And Joseph recognizes them, probably in the Egyptian garb, they didn't recognize him, plus he was older at this time. And he has to find it in himself to forgive them. So Joseph now has to be a man of forgiveness in addition to everything else. However, remember that his brothers were repentant. It's a very tearful reunion when they, everybody recognizes each other. I believe the fear, the humility, the fact that they, their country is going through a fa famine, the brothers are repentant. That's very important because we throw the word forgiveness around a lot as Christians. But Jesus says in Luke 17 that repentance has to come first. You know, if you want to build a good foundation of forgiveness and restoration, re, 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 a, a house on that, that the foundation has to be in repentance. It's got to be a good, solid foundation. And we believe, as we look through the scripture, that his brothers were repentant. So Joseph, this is his life. He suffers at the hands of his family that rejected him. Talk about rejection issues. He also suffers at the hand of the world. Now, when we're come. When we're tempted to complain about life, maybe cut corners, maybe give up, maybe even play the victim. There's a lot of talk shows out there. It's very popular today to play the victim, to fall into that victim mentality, to fall into looking for um, somebody to soothe you, somebody to, to make you feel better in life. We should think about Joseph. Joseph's name means increaser. Now, I don't believe my family names me after him, but I'm really blessed to have the same name as him, and I want to be like him. I want to be an increaser. Right? When the world throws lemons at you, you make lemonade. When the world throws manure at you, you make fertilizer. Right? We're to be like increasers in life. Through it all, Joseph remained faithful, not vengeful, not bitter. He didn't turn to a life of crime and then blame it on his upbringing like many do today as well. 
He could have easily done the talk show circuit, but he didn't. He chose to be an increaser. Think about Joseph. And God allowed Joseph to go through so much hardship, but God was going to use those negative circumstances to deliver a whole nation out of famine and bring restoration to a family. You know what I love about my God? He's the big picture God. When I'm tempted to fall into my pity party and complain about the specific things in my life that are happening, I realize that God has the big picture. I realize that his ways are greater than mine. And I realize that he has a plan and he's going to use this for his glory. Genesis 50, 20, as Joseph is speaking to his brother, sums it up. Joseph says this, But as for you, you meant this for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about this way or this day to save many people alive. Maybe many of us have been through hardships in life, right? But maybe God will use it to save a life, to bring someone to salvation, to glorify God in some way. Amen? Amen? If you don't mind, I'd like to share a personal experience in my life when I still remember the year 1999. I had incredible anxiety, incredible panic attacks. I had terrible social anxiety. There's no way I could be standing in front of all you this morning. If you suffer with it or you struggle with it, I was the guy who would sit in the back of the church all the time because I couldn't deal with, you know, it just was debilitating. And I remember that even during the holidays when my relatives would come over, at the time we had a basement in our home, and I would go down the basement. And, and these were people that loved me and supported me. I couldn't take the stimulus. It was a real aberration in what was going on inside of me, and the Lord healed me. Obviously, I'm standing in front of you today. But I have to tell you that even when I went through those debilitating panic attacks, there was a little glimmer inside of me. There was a little, little piece of hope that God gave me and said, you're going to get through this, and when you get through it, I'm going to use you to help other people who have it. So if you do have it, you know, please talk to me, and, and we can, let me encourage you with that. And let me tell you something, I don't want to go back there. <laughs> That's for sure. I'm glad about what he did, but I don't want to go back there, but I'm happy to use it, and I'm happy to help others through that. So that's really the blessing uh, in that situation. Verse 23, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. So Moses' parents are our seventh profile in faith. Faith regarding their son's safety. Now, this was a time when Egypt turns on the children of Israel. The government goes from friendly to the Jews to hostile to the Jews. Complete change in government. They feel that the Hebrews are growing in too much numbers and, and they have a fear factor about the fact that, or the possibility that they may take over. So the edict was to kill the male infants. Now, this faith in God that Moses' parents had to protect their son. Let me stop here for a moment. Parents, I know there's a lot of parents in this room. I think sometimes we stress needlessly about our children. I see a few head shaking. I think that this is a good lesson to us to trust God more with our children. You know what? God loves our children more than we do. And sometimes it's hard to think that anybody would love our children more than we do. But I'll tell you the truth that God does. Instead, use that time of worry and convert it to prayer. I remember when uh, we found out my wife was pregnant with our son. That's when I started praying for him. All these years. 
And I'll tell you, this year was a really wonderful year where God has really done a great work in my son's life. And it's just a, a joyous blessing for my wife and I. Now, some of you may say, well, my kid is 20s in their 30s, and I wasn't saved that long. Start praying now. Let me tell you something. The Bible tells us that worry, well, really worry can be a sin because it shows that we don't trust God. I mean, a lot of things we do in life can be a sin because we live in the flesh. We're in a fallen state. But you can worry and stress out and, and lose your mind. And it's not going to change anything in your children's life. Jesus was very clear. It's not going to add a cubit to our stature. It's not going to add a hair to our head. It's not going to add a day to our life. As a matter of fact, it's going to take away from our life. You see, if you look at worry and you follow it physiologically, it's actually an aberration of the sympathetic nervous system. You have your parasympathetic, which brings you to calmness, it brings you down, and you have the sympathetic nervous system, which is really involved in the fight-or-flight response. And when we worry, it isn't because there's a lion chasing us and we have to fight or flee or climb up the tree. We're just worrying. It's really an aberration, and, and those chemicals are destructive to our insides. It actually ages us. So a little, uh, little I'm, not, I'm not even going to charge a copay for that this morning. <laughs> So take that worry and convert it to prayer. Two interesting points here. Number one, Moses' parents, if you read this, if you read the scripture in Genesis, they actually build a little ark for Moses, for their baby boy. And they cover the bottom of it with pitch, you know, tar, and they probably put a blanket on him and, I don't know, maybe some toys. I don't know what they did. But they put him in an ark and they sent him downstream and they trusted God with what was going to happen with their baby boy's life. You know, Noah was also saved through an ark. We see a lot of symbolism here. Two, Moses' parents didn't sit around and do nothing either. They worked with God, and that's an interesting concept. A lot of our walk with the Lord is really finding the sweet spot. You know, do we want to be helicopter parents? Do we want to be overbearing? Believe me, if I could, in the flesh, I would be armed security for my son all day long. You looking at my son? Because I remember how I grew up and, you know, God was there for me, although I didn't know it, I wasn't a believer, but I had no protector. You know, my dad wasn't around and it was a very hard life. So raising a boy in today's society takes a lot of faith, raising a boy or a girl for that matter. So in, in, one, in the one vein, we don't want to be on top of them. We don't want to be worrying ourselves sick and we don't want to be doing so much that we leave God out of the equation. But in the other aspect, the other extreme is not doing anything to just stare up at the clouds and just be praying and not working with God either. So there's that sweet spot, that balance where we trust God, right? Moses' parents trusted God, but they did something, you know? So this is a, one of the best passages that I can find how the two work together. Trusting God and also our, our human responsibility. 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Moses is our eighth profile in faith. Faith 
and taking a more difficult career path when he didn't have to. You could just imagine Moses at the uh, career counselor, and I'm you know, being facetious here, and the career counselor looking at Moses' resume and saying, wow, I see that you're the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You come from a good family. Well, I see that you've attended the finest Egyptian schools. Looks like you did good in math and science. Wow, you possess great skills. Hey, this is a no-brainer for me as your counselor. I think that you'll be next in line to be Egypt's king. You keep going like this and enjoy all the pleasures that Egypt has to offer you. What, Moses? You'd rather be a fugitive? And then you'd rather tend dirty, smelly sheep for years? And then you want to lead millions of complainers into some land where you've never been before? Do you have rocks in your head? Right? Moses chose that opportunity instead. He chose to serve God. And people of God, at times, the world will look at us and think that we have rocks in our head because we choose a different path. We march to the beat of a different drum, God's drum. So the first thing we look at is that Moses didn't want to identify with worldly success. He wanted to identify with God's future for him even though he knew it was going to be difficult. Moses went into this with his, wa- his eyes wide open. And we have to make those decisions in life too. Whatever choices we make, career choices, spouse choices, you know, all these choices that we have, is it, is it something that we've prayed about? Is it something that God would have? Or is it something that we just want to do because it seems like the path of least resistance? We have to ask ourselves those hard questions. Two, Moses looked toward a greater treasure and reward than the world was going to give him. Because Egypt at the time, at this time, was the world. They were a type of the world. They had everything. Okay? Jesus spoke a lot about treasures and rewards in heaven that don't, don't rot. That you can't, they can't be stolen. The stock market can't crash and then you lose all your value in them. Right? These are, these are eternal treasures that when we build them up here... They're safe and sound up there. I mean, this is an awesome retirement plan, isn't it? Right? I mean, today it's very uncertain where to put your money, how to retire. But this is the ultimate plan, the, the treasures in heaven. And the third thing is that Moses put his life in God's hand. He trusted God to deliver him from the wrath of Pharaoh because he knew he was going to be angry. And he certainly was angry. You know what I love about Moses? He comes off as timid, doesn't he? I think he was a reluctant leader. He made a lot of excuses. Well, what if they don't listen to me? I'm going to lead them. What if they don't listen to me? Okay, do these two things, and it's going to prove to them that you're anointed by me. Another excuse. Well, my speech isn't really eloquent. I I don't talk well. Okay, there's your brother Aaron. Take him. Let him talk for you. Moses was running out of excuses because every excuse that he had, God had a solution to it. So Moses seemed to be reluctant. He even seemed to be timid. However, when he faced off with Pharaoh, he was mighty in the Lord. And we're going to be like that at times too. You know, we want to be humble. We want to be receiving from the Lord. We want to not say, hey, Lord, you need me, but it would be great, Lord, if you work through my life. And then there's going to be times that we're going to be bold in the Lord. When we're doing things in the Lord's strength, we're going to be empowered by his Holy Spirit. So it's like a dichotomy in personality. I love that about Moses. The fourth thing we see is that he had faith in keeping the Passover. So number one, he had faith in God that God was going to keep his word about judgment. 
hey, Moses, something pretty bad's happening. There's going to be a judgment to the firstborn. And the only way out of it is to, and this is a type of Christ, to slaughter that innocent lamb, take the blood and paint it on the doorpost and the lintel, and, uh, you know, it would be literally the Passover. Judgment would pass over those houses. So, number one, Moses believed, he had faith to believe that there would be judgment. And number two, he also had faith to believe that the children of Israel, whoever was under that blood, would be protected from the judgment. Again, a type of Christ. So what do we find? That Moses, like Joseph, was in it for the long haul. He didn't have a fugacious faith. He didn't have a a fleeting faith. He had a real, honest-to-goodness, get-to-the-finish-line type of faith. He was a fugitive. He was a shepherd. But these were training grounds. And let me speak to you personally this morning. You maybe have come into this church and maybe you're just thinking about your own circumstance and that's okay. Maybe you've got some, you heard some bad news. Maybe you're struggling emotionally with something and your world, according to you, is coming apart piece by piece. And this is the message for you because God Maybe the world, maybe sin, maybe, uh, you know, whatever the case may be, the degradation of the human genome and the fact that the the creation is moving towards a a positive entropy uh, condition, you're, you're struggling with this situation. But maybe God, like in Genesis 50, is going to use it for good. You'll see. Maybe he's going to turn this thing around. He wants to see how strong your faith is in this situation. And I don't want to minimize it. It could be a training ground, though. And you might say, Pastor, but it hurts. But it's difficult. But I'm struggling with my faith. I've heard these things before. You won't be the first one to say that. So I really hope that this message is blessing some people, and I know it is. I know it is. However, God may be building your spiritual resume. And I hope you don't mind this this morning, and, and it's not usual for me, but I just want to share some of my personal experiences. You know, I remember when uh, the church, this church, many years ago, uh, the last pastor left it in disarray, and the question came to me, you know, would you like to be the pastor? Would you like to candidate for it? And I said, ask my wife, she's sitting back there, absolutely not. (laughs) So, So the fact that I'm standing here before you is definitely God had his way with me, as he often does. Uh, But I I said, listen, I don't have formal training. You know, it's all about schooling today. But I did look back at my life, and as I started praying about it, I says, you know, I was an usher. I understand the usher's needs. I uh, taught the children in the children's ministry. I understand and respect what they do. Uh, I actually was in a cult awareness uh, ministry, so I understand my apologetics. Suffering, pain, difficulty. Oh, maybe this was the part of that spiritual resume. And I had the blessing of talking to a brother this week. Same thing. He came to me, and... He didn't think he was qualified for something. And I had this discussion with him and I said, let's look at your life. And I pointed things out. I said, this is part of your spiritual resume. It doesn't matter what the world's resume for you looks like. It matters what God's spiritual resume looks like for you. So this suffering, this difficulty may be for a reason. Maybe to, to, to soften some of the, the jagged edges we have. Maybe God is preparing us and moving us into a certain direction. So don't fret too much. Take comfort and pray about the message that you've heard this morning and see what the Lord's trying to do in your life. Verse 25. Moses did not want to, or he did want to identify with God's people. He didn't want to enjoy the temporary pleasures of sin or what Egypt had to offer. 
It was a choice back then, and we have a choice today. Do we identify with God's people? You know, today everybody has, we're, we all have causes, and that's really very common for Christians now. Christians have these causes. And a lot of them are good, and some of them are innocuous. But I think what we need to do, in addition to what we're involved in, is keep the fact that there are believers just like you and I who live in countries who are being persecuted, who are being thrown in prison for their faith or talking to somebody else about Jesus and forgiveness. They're not harming anybody. But the government is hostile to these believers. Many in, in, in African nations have... Um, you know what's really sad? I got a, my new period, periodical, A Voice of the Martyrs, and they go throughout the world and they minister to Christians who are being abused just because they're Christians. And one thing really struck me. It was a picture of one of their facilities in Africa that has all these prosthetic legs because they've been, their churches have been bombed, they've been macheted, and these Christians are still going on. And what this organization does, it's a shame. They have all these little legs, prosthetic legs, all the way up to adults. And they fit people and they, you know, they take donations and they, they give it to them for free. This is what's going on. Our brothers and sisters that we're going to spend eternity with are suffering right now. At the very least, part of our prayer should be, you know what, Lord? I pray for my brothers and sisters suffering in other countries. That took all of five seconds. So Moses chose to identify with God's suffering people instead of ignoring them and saying, well, I'm big time now. I'm going to be the next Pharaoh. I don't want to hear. I don't want to see what's going on. I'm going to bury my head in the sand. He didn't do that. I submit to you that what's going on across our seas, both of them, is the 21st century Holocaust. Christians are being martyred just for their belief systems. And sadly enough, the United States and the United Nations are doing very little, if not nothing. You know, villages are being overrun. It's, and they're defenseless. So please keep the persecuted church in your prayers, because that is a real situation that's being ignored in the mainstream media. Verse 26. He says, Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Now this might seem like an anachronism. It doesn't belong here. Christ, well, he was the, the, you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, but he didn't take a, a human form yet. He didn't come. That was a long time in the future. So how could, that, how could it say this in the scripture? Do you realize that in Deuteronomy 18, Moses makes an incredible prophecy about the Messiah? The best evidence for Jesus Christ as the Messiah is the Old Testament. Because these guys, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, were prophesying where Jesus would be born, what time period he would be born, and all this kind of stuff. In, in, impeccable prophecies and Moses knew that the Messiah was coming not in his lifetime but he gave great details about the Messiah he understood the difficult and narrow road that Jesus taught about that leads to everlasting life and treasures in heaven 29 by faith they passed meaning the children of Israel through the Red Sea as by dry land whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Moses and the children of Israel, by faith, were able to make it through the Red Sea unharmed. Now get this, by the Egyptians, but also they weren't harmed by the Red Sea either. Now I'm just an inquisitive type of person. If I could just imagine me being there, 
you know, I'd be bumping into people's carts and, and tripping over things because I'd be looking at the walls of water and going, wow. And they'd be like, Joe, move it. The Egyptians are coming. Get, get going. And I'd just be like stunned by what God was doing. And a, a brother pointed out, a brother in the church, he put it on our church Facebook uh, group posting that he said, meditate on the fact that they went through dry ground. He moved those walls of water to the side. The details that God had was they weren't, their carts weren't getting stuck in the muck as they were trying to wheel them with their supplies. Their animals weren't getting stuck in that muck. The Lord not only made columns of water, but he completely dried the ground for safe passage for them to pass through the Red Sea. Our God is a God of details. He leaves no stone unturned. And he'll do that in your life as well. Whatever you're going through right now, he sees it. Every teardrop that falls, he records it. He understands. Okay? So be blessed by that. Verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Now, you might notice that there's a period of time that's missing between verses 29 and 30. The wilderness wanderings. It's not here in the chapter of faith. Now, understand this, that God forgives us. Listen, at times we're faithless. We are. The disciples were with Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate for how many years? And he would say to them, ye of little faith. <laughs> I, I don't picture him holding his hand up over their head like he's going to smack them, but saying it like just gently to them, ye of little faith. How long have you been with me? How many miracles did you see? The children of Israel... It wasn't like they sinned and they needed to be forgiven because that was available to them as it is to us. But with the children of Israel, there was a point in their history where collectively, aggregately, they decided they willfully disbelieved God. What do I mean by that? Because they saw the miracles. They saw the passing through the Red Sea. They saw the the water coming out of the rock. They saw the miracle of the manna. They saw the quail. They saw all those miracles. So you don't forget a miracle like that. You do not forget that. They willfully, aggregately, collectively, conspiratorially disbelieved God. So that part is omitted from this. But we as individuals are going to have lapses of faith and God understands us. He understands our frame. Sometimes when there's a tragedy, we tend to just panic and it takes a little while to to realize where, to get our bearings and realize we're spiritual people here and start collecting it and getting it together. He understands that. Now contrast that with the new generation of Israelites who had the faith to conquer. Again, put yourself in their position. They were marching around a walled city. Walled city, stones. Now remember, they didn't have siege ramps. They didn't have bombers. They didn't have paratroopers. They didn't have cannons. They didn't have tanks. They had some animals themselves and some rudimentary Uh, uh, weapons and they had these walls of Jericho and they had to trust God that when they went around these walls for seven days whatever was going to get thrown over that wall uh, when the the, the inhabitants of the city came together collusively and decided how they were going to defeat the children of Israel and they're on their sixth day and maybe some of them said boy I really hope these walls come down boy I really hope Joshua knows what he's doing that's just me. I love to, to just meditate on what could have been happening in the minds of these people back then. 
It really helps us understand that they were just like you and I. Some of them were probably terrified, scared. But they trusted Joshua and then they trusted God, but maybe not completely. How about the man that uh, Jesus did a great miracle and he said, do you believe? And the man said, I do, but help me with my unbelief. Contradiction? Not really. He had some faith and he trusted Jesus, but he wasn't completely there yet. And faith in our lives is that, that way as well. As we grow and we develop and God tests our faith, it starts to grow. But we still have lapses of faith. I really want to encourage you with that this morning. This isn't a browbeating session, not at all. This shows average people like you and I who went through these situations. Marching and believing, shouting, blowing the trumpet, and on the seventh day, the walls came tumbling down on their own with no help from the children of Israel. And their leader, Joshua, in the book of Joshua, is our ninth profile in faith. Faith in leading them and not believing it was a suicide mission or a pyrrhic victory. But Joshua faithfully led the children of Israel after Moses and trusted in God to bring those walls down. There's a lot of stress on a leader when you do something like this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Leaders have their own crises of faith at times. But Joshua was awesome. So let me ask you this question. What are the walls of Jericho in your life? When I ask that question, what comes to mind? As you're going through life and your spiritual walk and you're walking around those walls of Jericho and you're looking up and going, boy, those walls look thick. Boy, those walls look tall. Could God really take those walls down in my life? This is the message for you. What is it? What is the Goliath? What is the behemoth in your life that's been oppressing you for so long? Exercise faith. Trust him. See what he's going to do he could bring those walls down. He still does miracles today. Amen. Amen. Verse 31, our last verse for this morning. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Rahab is our 10th and last profile in faith this morning. Faith to not allow the baggage from her life to stop her from being accepted by God. Rahab was a prostitute, a harlot, a hooker, whatever you want to call her. And the question is, what happened in her life? I can guarantee you without doing a poll that no six, seven, or eight-year-old little girl dreams of being a prostitute. Imagine what this girl went through in her life. Imagine what she had to do for a living to survive. Imagine the lack of self-esteem and self-worth and validity that this woman had in her life. But she is in the chapter of the hero's faith. I want to read to you a short exchange between her and the spies in Joshua 2, starting with verse 11, or starting with verse 10. Actually, let's start with verse 9. This is so good. She's going to hide the spies, the Israeli spies, uh, because they're spying out the land and, and they're going to go back and report and, and God's going to do his thing with the walls of Jericho. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. 
For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our heart melted. Our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Man, there are some believers that didn't have this statement of faith. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, Our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Powerful. The Bible says that she had an apartment that was on the wall. These walls were so impressive. As a matter of fact, the walls of Babylon are still standing. They're in Iraq, by the way. You can, well, you can see pictures of it. Uh, very impressive uh, that in its height of glory, you could have three chariots abreast running, <laughs> running around the top of the wall. That's how thick it was. And in these walls, what would happen was when you would, you know, they were walled cities. They didn't have air forces back then. So this is what they did to protect themselves. Oftentimes, if you went into the city gates and you went into the wall, there was business being done. It was like the municipal center, right? Uh, recreation and t the taxes. Everything was getting done over there in that wall. And some actually had apartments built into the walls. You know, it's funny how we, some look at ancient peoples and think they were ignorant. They were not ignorant. These people were brilliant. And they didn't have computers the way we did. They did it the old-fashioned way, by hand. So this lady has uh, an apartment built into the wall. And when the walls came down, picture this. I bet her apartment was the only one standing. Only one standing. A few things we can take away from this, what I call a remarkable woman. Number one, she followed careful instructions. She had to take a scarlet cord and throw it out the window and let it hang out the window. So when the Israelites saw it, they didn't invade that house. Now, the, the scarlet cord was a type of Christ's sacrifice. It was blood red for a reason. Before the blood of Jesus, that, that scarlet cord protected that house, just like the blood in the Passover, all these images, all these types. Let me just say this as well. Not everybody was in that apartment a lot of people were invaded and, and, ex and destroyed by the Israelites. So it, it's one thing to be afraid. It's one thing to believe in God. The Bible says that the demons believe in God, but they're going to be punished for eternity. Brothers and sisters, this morning, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not just enough to believe in God. You have to believe. She trusted. She trusted in that token, in that scarlet cord. She trusted of of that future sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The children of Israel, they could have said, ah, we believe in God, we're not going to paint this blood up on, and you know what would have happened? They would have been judged. This morning, I, I implore you, it's not enough to believe in God. Jesus Christ died for your sins. You have to trust and believe that he did that. And the Bible says, if you confess it with your lips and believe it in your heart, it's all it takes, you're saved. So a lot of people didn't. They just were afraid. They went on business as usual, but you know, they didn't take it to the final uh, step. The second thing is her reward. She was rewarded for faith. She later marries Salmon, gives birth to Boaz, and Boaz uh, 
David, King David and Jesus Christ were in that line. So a former prostitute is in the bloodline of the Messiah. See, I love that. That's my God. That's the God of grace. So what's stopping you? What's stopping you from receiving the free gift of salvation? And what's stopping you, if you are already saved, be used by God? He's the God of second chances. Now, the proud scoffs at this. But to me, this is a symbol of hope, that no matter what type of mess we've made of our lives, God can fix it. I love her, and I love the fact that God reaches out to prodigals. To the self-righteous who have an issue with this, I would say you should be ashamed of yourself. That's not what we become as God's people. Now, as we go through this and we, as we close, we see a few things. Number one, they all had the same thing in common, these heroes of faith. They were not perfect, but they were patient and they persevered in their faith. And God rewarded each one of them for their beliefs. I want to encourage you with a few things this morning. Number one, God can use you. If you came in here doubting that, or maybe started reading and hearing and doubting that, don't doubt it anymore. God can use you. Pray about that. Also, for those of you that have been patiently waiting and struggling and dealing with pain in your lives, hang on a little bit longer. God comes through just at the right time. He always does. Pray about that. Continue to trust him. Don't give up. And lastly, believe that no matter what there are in your life, no matter what walls of Jericho you're dealing with, God can take them down as he did for the children of Israel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you. You're so awesome, Lord. We love hearing about your miracles. I love hearing about miracles today here and in the missions field, Lord. I'm so thankful that you still work and do miracles. Uh, we just, it's